So I know you've been on the edge of your seat. Yes, we're praying and playing another round of Zoomed Out. So you can all deep breath. It's okay. All right. And so if you've been around, you know what we've been doing. We've been looking at these images on the screen, super zoomed in. You guys get to yell out what you think they are, and we eventually show you if you got it right. And so let's check out the first one. They're hard this week. I'm going to tell you that. Anybody know what that is? Shout it out. All right. Well, somebody said something close. Let's see what we got here. Good job, flower. We'll give you flower. Oh, okay. Good job, Pastor. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Don't do any more, Pastor. You're out. You're out. All right. All right. Next one. This is tough. This is tough. Oh, you guys nailed that one. Good job. All right. Well done. I'm going to eventually go for that look. So, you know, mark my words. All right. And then lastly, this one's tricky. I'm going to give you a hint. It's in a movie. I'll give you another hint. It's a Christmas movie. All right, go, go, go. Someone said it. Elf, good job. Wow, give yourself a hand. Wow, well done. So the reason we do that is just to remind you that when we're really zoomed in, it's difficult to see the big picture. And here in this series, we're trying to zoom out. Often we're zoomed in on different aspects of our lives, and it's hard to see the big picture. It's hard to see what God's up to when we're just looking at a certain element of our life or a situation or a difficulty or something that we're going through. So in this series, we're saying, hey, let's zoom out. Let's try to see things not only from a bigger picture, but from God's perspective. And we've been talking about how God sees things from this sovereign perspective, that he sees things a different way than you and I do. So let's check out what it means that he's sovereign. It means that all things are under God's rule and control and that nothing happens without his direction or permission. Now, we've been wrestling with this thought, though. If God is sovereign, then do my choices matter? Do, does, do I have a free will? Does it matter? Does it impact anything? Do the things that I do make a difference, or is it all just because God is sovereign and over everything that it's all happening the way it's happening? And the answer we've been giving is yes, you are free, and yes, God is sovereign, and there's no issue with that. God can be completely sovereign. You can be completely free because he's big enough to make that possible. And so today, as we look at a story that, that we find in Genesis, we're going to really dive into this, and I, I think throughout this story, see how we see free will working and yet God being sovereign and how all things work out in that. So here's what we've been talking about so far. In, in week one, we looked at the election. We talked about how God was sovereign over the election, whether you were happy with, with the results or not. And last election, when Obama was elected, God was sovereign over that. And before uh, Obama, he was sovereign over Bush, and he was sovereign over Clinton, and he was sovereign over the other Bush. And as far back as we want to go, God has been sovereign over the rulers of our nation. And so whether we like it or not, whether we're happy with the candidate now or the one before or the one current or whatever it might be, God is sovereign over those things. And as some of us might say, okay, I'll buy that, but what about the little details of our lives? And that's what we looked at last week, that the concerns on your heart, the worries, the anxieties, the fears, the stresses, God's sovereign over all those things too, not just presidents and kings and nations. He's sovereign over you and right where you are in life right now. Now today we're going to take things a little bit further. We talked a lot about fear and anxiety last week, and I've referenced this throughout the series, but one of the things that we do when we become fearful or full of anxiety is we take things into our own hands, right? We take things out of God's hands, out of his control. We stop inviting him into the situation, and we take things into our hands, and we try to do things our own way. Now today we're going to see what a mess that usually makes. And many of us have lived long enough to know that when we do this, it makes a huge mess. Let me give you some examples of, of maybe some ways that we do this. Um, I think some of the ways that I see this happen all the time, you know, tonight the room will be full of people between the ages of 16 and 30, a lot of young adults, and, and I see all the time people 
with this mentality. Well, I don't see God bringing me anybody, so I'm just going to settle for the person right in front of me. I don't see God's plan. I haven't met Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, and so I'm just going to settle for who's here now. We kind of take things into our own hands. I think we can settle when it comes to trying to make ends meet when it comes to our jobs, right? It's like, man, things are so busy and life is so crazy and trying to just make the money that our family needs. Now I'm all for working hard, okay? And sometimes there are seasons of life where you have to work more than you want to, right? And sometimes that's just a reality. As long as it's a season, that's okay. And you see an end on the other side. But sometimes I think we take things out of God's hands and we say, okay, I'm gonna control this financial situation because God, I don't see how he's gonna provide and suddenly we're finding ourselves doing unethical things or we're just doing things that aren't worth it. Like we don't remember what our wife looks like, our husband looks like because we're working so much. We don't remember what our kids look like because we're working so much. And those things begin to suffer. That's not God's heart or design. I think another area we can struggle with this is just leading. Like instead of asking God, God, would you lead this huge decision I have to make? Instead of asking him for leading, we just make a decision without really inviting him into that decision. What about... Sometimes I think it's the difficult situations. This is a tricky one. I think some of us take things into our own hands when we're in a difficult situation by running from the difficult situation. When maybe God actually has the difficult situation in front of us on purpose to grow us, to challenge us, to change us, to do some things in us that would never happen if that difficult situation weren't there. We're going to see that a lot in the story that we're going to look at today. But that's what I think some of us do. It's like I'm in this difficult situation. God, I don't know if you have me here or not, but I'm running from it. And so we're going to see today some of the mess that that can make, and yet the grace of God over that as well. What about the idea that we don't look to God and invite him into just the natural things that we do in our day? You know, that's one of the ways we take things into our own hands. Instead of looking to God to empower the way that we do our job, the way that we interact with people at school, the way we interact with our spouse or our kids, we just do it on our own, right? I'll give you a really kind of silly example. Right now, I'm currently painting our kitchen cabinets. It is awful. And I'm I'm painting these cabinets. It is so time consuming. I have to do three coats of paint and three coats of sealant. We got this chalk paint and it's actually chalk paint for those of you who know what I did with the chalk board paint several years ago. Thank you, Rosemary's laughing. She knows what an idiot I've been. She's been at my house and seen our dining room table all painted with chalk board paint instead of chalk paint. So you can come over and draw on our furniture if you want. But anywho, so chalk paint, we got that. We got the sealant going. I'm finding there are fuzzies in the sealant. It's driving me insane. I sit there with a kid's paintbrush, and I pick out these little fuzzies. I don't want furry cabinets, people. It's not the look we're going for. So I'm trying to get all this fuzz off the cabinets, and it's driving me insane. I'm telling you, instead of putting people in prison when they do something wrong, they should designate that they paint kitchen cabinets. Like, that should be the new punishment out there. I'm going to vote for that one. Um, And so... I'm, I'm late at night. I'm usually painting until 1, 2, 3 in the morning. I'm, I'm up painting and doing this, and I begin to just lose it. I don't know if it's the fuzzies or the fumes or both. I don't know what's going on. But I'm just, I start to lose it, and I'm getting like, really upset, and I'm getting ready to put my fist through one of the cabinets because I'm so frustrated. And on my fourth coat this last week, I invited Jesus to paint cabinets with me. And a hand appeared with a brush and began to paint. Oh, yeah, I wish. That would have been awesome. <laughs> it was nothing like that. But. It was a total change on the inside. I invited Jesus into the mundaneness of painting cabinets. And suddenly, I had just a different outlook and a different approach and a different heart while I was doing it. And that's the opportunity we have every single moment of every day to invite Jesus in. 
I was painting cabinets all dug, and it was driving me nuts. And then I invited Jesus in, and I had a little bit more joy, and a little bit more peace, and a little bit more self-control. And I just wonder if we invite him in to our marriages. We invite him in to the way we parent. We invite him in to the way we're working through our singleness right now. We invite him in to our school or our job situation, what that might look like. Instead of taking things into our own hands and saying, no, God, I got the cabinets. Invite him in. I think one last example of a way that I think we take things into our own hands is not that we end up doing something God doesn't want us to do, but we end up trying to do it before he wants us to do it. It's a timing issue. And so he's saying, hey, I have this for you. And instead of waiting back for the time he has that for us, we jump ahead and we do it and we tend to make a mess of things. My brother-in-law Seth always says that timing is everything. And that's so true. It's so important that in this relationship with God, that timing is everything, that we wait back and allow him to lead and direct instead of trying to take things into our own hands. That's what we're trying to do here with the building situation. Um, as you guys know, we have a you know, terrible parking situation. I came by the other day, and I just really felt like there was a wall between us and the community. I was like, oh, there is actually a wall between us and the community. And so we have this tremendous uh, parking issue now. And if I'm honest, there are plenty of times where I've just sort of felt like, let's just get out of here. Let's just abandon the building. Let's go rent, like, an auditorium in a school or a warehouse. Or we'll rent the good steer. I mean, that'd be great. You guys can have onion rings while I'm preaching. You know, first-time visitors will never come back. Like, they're really nice people, but they stink, right? Everybody smells. But, but I'm just, like, tempted to, like, just get us out and kind of, like, put a little Band-Aid on the situation, you know? But I know that's not what God has. As our staff prays, as our elders pray, we know God has not said move yet. He said, you know, put the building up for sale. He said, I got something for you, but we're not ready to go yet because God hasn't moved us yet. But the temptation is, let's just fix this. And I think sometimes that's what we do. And so whether it's your relationship or a job or it's just inviting Jesus to paint cabinets with you or into your marriage or it's trying to get ahead of God or settling for a relationship, I think we're all tempted to take things into our own hands. And the reason we have to talk about this is because of the mess that we make when we do this. Okay? Now my goal today is not to get you to feel bad about times in your past that you've taken things into your own hands and made a mess because we've all done that. I could share all day how I've done that, right? That's not my goal. My goal today is to help us say, okay, in my present and in my future, I don't want to take things into my own hands and make a mess. So don't beat yourself up today if you've done this in the past. In fact, God was sovereign over the fact that you did that and had grace for it, and you're going to see that today as we look at our story. But today we have a choice. Are we going to look to God to be sovereign and in control, or are we going to try to manipulate and control and make a mess? That's what we want to see here this morning. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think one of the ways I would just love to encourage you is that I would guess some of your beef with God and your beef with church is that you feel like God is really far if he's there at all, that he's not active, that he's not desiring to paint the cabinets with us. But what if this awesome, sovereign God wants to be involved in all the details of your life, if he wants to walk with you through your day? That's the active, awesome God that we're looking at here in this series. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a familiar passage of Scripture today, but there's a big chunk of it that often gets left out when we talk about these verses. And so some of it's going to be a little bit familiar to you, but in it, we're going to see, I think, a sovereign God, yet free will. We're going to see some consequences when people get off the path, but then we're going to see grace for the people that got off the path. And at the end of the day, we're going to see that it all works out according to God's sovereign plan. And so we're going to look at 
a conversation that takes place between God and a man named Abram. And just to give you a heads up, Abram is eventually called Abraham, so don't be confused by that. And his wife Sarai is eventually called Sarah, so don't be confused by that as we read through. So Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. Now, the reason this verse is rather interesting is because God says this to Abram when he's 75 years old. Now, obviously, people lived longer than they do today, but I'm pretty sure that when God said this to Abram, you're going to have offspring, you're going to have children, that his eyebrows kind of went up. Like, really, Lord? I'm 75. Seriously? And so this promise is given here, right? And then years go by. Years go by and no offspring, no child. And guys, if I could just get everybody's attention here, I think this is where we struggle. It's when we feel like God has said, hey, I'm in control. I got a job for you. I got a spouse for you. I got kids for you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to help you at work. I'm going to help you with this and that. And it's in the silence. It's in the gap between when we feel like, okay, God is sovereign, and then the finale that we're tempted to take things into our own hands. I know I am anyway. And so let me ask you a question. Are there any things in your life right now that you're tempted to take into your own hands? Is there a gap right now? Are you sort of sitting in a spot where, okay, God, I know you're good and in control and you're going to come through, yet you haven't yet? I think that's where many of us sit today. And it's in this spot that I think we're tempted to take things into our own hands. So years go by. And then another conversation happens. Genesis 15 now, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram comes back. He's just honest. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my state is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You gave me no children, so a servant in my household, Eliezer, will be my heir. Verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So years after the initial promise comes and no child, there's another conversation. And Abram's just real with God. I don't have any kids. God, you said I'd have kids. I don't have any kids. So I'm kind of giving up on that. God says, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But it's in this time that Abram is tempted to take things into his own hands. What are you tempted to take into your own hands right now? Now, in the next few verses, we're going to see a part of the story that doesn't get talked about all that much. And this is the part of the story we have to really pay attention because we're going to learn what not to do here, okay? So let's look at Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar, so she said to Abram, the Lord has put, uh, kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, guys in the room, if this were a movie, we'd all be yelling at the screen the same thing. No, Abram, don't fall for it. This is not going to work out well, man. You're going to end up in the doghouse, the Chateau Bow Wow for the rest of your life. If you bite here, don't do it. It's going to be Lazy Boy and Raw Noodles the rest of your life. Don't do it. But unfortunately, Abram has a huge husband fail. And the next part of the verse said, Abram agreed to what Sarai said. 
Now, let me just pause for a second and say, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're like, see, this is why I don't like the Bible because look how messed up people were and how, how could God allow this to happen? Can we just remember that God's not condoning this? This is what happens when people take things out of God's hands and into their own hands. But here, Abram agrees. And we have to think for a second because we're all looking at this, right? I mean, thousands of years later is going, what are they thinking? But guys, see yourself in this. You see, every time you take something out of God's hands and into your own hands, do you know what you and I think? We think the same thing Abram thought and Sarah thought. You know what they were thinking? This is going to work out great. This is going to work out perfectly. Sarah's thinking, I haven't been able to get pregnant, and you know what? God's not doing what he said he would do, so I have an idea. I can help him out. I figured out a way, God. I figured out a loophole, so let me tweak it, and though it won't really be my child, it'll still be Abram's child, and it's still kind of like your promise could work, God, so I'm here to help you out because I know you need me so much, so let me help you figure this out. And that's the logic that we often have when we take things into our own hands, and maybe God's just saying, just wait. Just let me take care of this. Let me be God. Let me be sovereign. But no, they went ahead with their plans. Verse 3, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So Hagar becomes pregnant and she begins to despise Sarah. So now we're in this place where there's this whole new problem. Wow, they took things out of God's hands and it didn't turn out like they thought. How many times has that been true for you and for me? And then verse 5, guys, we saw this coming. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Guys, Abram, we told you, bro, we were yelling at the TV screen not to do it. What were you thinking? We warned you. Then she says this, I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. That is a nasty line right there. Ladies, I'm just telling you, you ever get into an argument with your husband, you pull that line up, you got him. You got him. If Kelly ever said to me, may the Lord judge between you and me, I'd just be like, wait, wait, what, what happened? I just like get down on my knees and start repenting. Like I could be perfectly right. Like, I don't know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't want that, you know? So, so ladies, just pull that out. Next argument. That's actually terrible marital advice. So don't listen at all. Verse 6. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she fled from her. These are really important verses. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Now, we have to talk about this because this is a part of the story that doesn't get talked about a lot. We have to talk about this in the next few verses that are coming. This is so important because what does God tell Hagar to do? Go back to the difficult situation. God's saying, I'm sovereign over what's going on. I don't like what they're doing to you. But this is a difficult situation I have in front of you on purpose to produce something in you that won't get produced any other way. You know what that tells me? God's sovereign over the difficult situations in our lives that we're running from. 
What if the things that you and I have decided to take into our own hands by trying to remove from our life, God has placed there a pressure cooker to kind of wake some things up inside of us and to bring things out of us for our own good that aren't going to come another way. I've actually memorized these verses, verses 8 and 9, as a reminder that sometimes God causes us to walk through difficult situations that we don't understand. I'm sure Hagar's looking at the angel going, you want me to go back? You know how hard that was? And yet God knew his sovereign plan and the provision that he would have by sending her back for Hagar and Hagar's son. And guys, I'm telling you, sometimes we're looking at God going, you want me to go back to what? You want me to do that? You want me to stick it out? You want me to stay at the job? You want me to stay in the marriage? You want me to continue to fight for my kids? You got, what? God's going, I have a difficult situation, and it's there on purpose. Don't run from it. Don't run from it. Don't take it into your own hands by running from it. And so that's a, a verse that I just keep near my heart, you know? I mean, it's kind of a weird verse to have memorized. You know, like, oh, Doug, what are some of your favorite memory verses? John 3.16, I love that one. That's a great one. I also love that one about Hagar, submit to your mistress, go back there. Like, not going to find that on a Christmas card this year, right? Oh, Genesis 16, 8, 9. Cool, go look that up. What does this mean? <laughs> but sometimes we have to say, all right, God, I don't get it, but I'm going to stay in a difficult situation because you're sovereign, and that means that, man, maybe you have me to walk through this. And, and I, this takes great wisdom. Uh, this is not a blank, blanket statement, you know? I mean, I'm not saying, like, run back into the arms of someone who was abusing you. Put yourself back in a, a, a situation where you or your kids or someone else is going to get, you know, abused or taken advantage of necessarily. This takes a lot of wisdom. But there are times where God says, hey, I know you can't see why you're in this really difficult situation, but I can, and good's going to come out of it, and so just trust me. And so we need God's wisdom in all this. I'm not saying it's an easy, easy overarching statement that just is like a broad stroke. We've got to seek God on it and let him lead us. But he sends Hagar back to the difficult situation, which remember, Hagar's are only in a difficult situation. Why? Because of Abraham and Sarah's free will, because they made some choices that were off God's path. But look what God does. And this is how we see free will and his sovereignty interacting. Verse 10, the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. He's saying this not to Abraham. He's saying this to, to Hagar about her child. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has had uh, heard of your misery. So you know what I see here? I see people abusing their free will and getting off of God's path, but God being gracious still. So we got to swing around and look at this from Hagar's perspective. Terrible things have happened to her, but God's showing her grace. And God is still going to bring good out of it. And God's going to even take, in a weird way, take the promise he initially gave to Abraham, and now it almost sounds like a duplicate promise for Hagar. And so you see some incredible grace here about Ishmael. But then, in the same breath, we also see consequences. So look at the next part, verse 12. Still talking about Ishmael, the angel says, He'll be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. And so we see God's sovereignty. We see people use their free will and get off that course. We see some consequences. And at the same time, we see some grace. But we have to talk about this first because this is a prophetic word about what would happen when Ishmael's born and all of his descendants and how they interact with their brothers. Well, who would Ishmael's brother be? Abraham's future son. So what happened when Abraham took things out of God's hand and, and tried to manipulate and do everything himself? Well, 
destroyed his marriage, been on the lazy boy for months now, right? But also, his future kids are going to have strife with Ishmael. And so, there's this big mess. Now we're going to jump down to verse 16. Abram was 86, year old, 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So when Abraham's 86, 11 years after the initial promise, Abraham made Ishmael. So this is a huge gap that Abraham's living in, man. I mean, gosh, you look at Abraham and you're like, wow, we can understand, Abraham, why it's tough for you to believe that God's still going to come through on this promise. But he went this other route. In verse 16, in chapter 16, is the last verse of chapter 16. And then the very next verse in the Bible, the first verse of chapter 17, takes us 13 years into the future. Abraham's 99 now. And we still don't have a child. We're going to drop down to verse 15. It says, God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarah. Sarai, her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. So Abraham is full of faith. He falls down in worship. No. He didn't fall down in faith and worship. Look how he fell down. Look what it says. He fell face down and he laughed. And he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. He's still trying to take things into his own hands. Right? He's still trying to help God out. God, I've got this. I know you keep trying to say about this son. Don't worry about it. We got Ishmael. We made Ishmael, and he's my son now. So God, just bless him. I mean, yeah, things are kind of messy. The marriage hasn't been so great since we did this. Hagar hates Sarah. Sarah hates Hagar. It's been a total mess, but I got Ishmael. So if you could just bless him, that would be great because I took things into my own hands, and I helped you, and you're welcome. And I think so often that's our approach, right? God, I, I did it. I, you know, I, it wasn't quite what you wanted done, but I, I did it, and I took it into my hands, and now we're good. And yeah, it was unethical, and I probably shouldn't have, but I did, and don't worry about that anymore. You can worry about all the other stuff. But here they are, and God is saying, dude, wake up. I'm trying to get a message to you that I'm going to stay true to my promise. Look at verse 19. God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. And you will call him Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So God's saying, yes, I'm going to bless Ishmael because I'm merciful. Even though you made that mess, Abraham, I will be gracious in my sovereignty and I will bless Ishmael. But I still want to bless you with a child. Verse 20, and as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I'll make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. He'll be the father of 12 rulers, and I'll make him into a great nation. So there's going to be consequences because, man, Ishmael and Isaac are going to bang heads. And then it's going to go from there. But I'll bless Ishmael, and I'll make him a great nation. How many times has he done that for you and I? How many times has he taken our Ishmael's? And he's brought good out of him. How many times has he let grace come on our lives, even the times when we take things into our own hands? But then verse 21 says, But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. And sure enough, 25 years, 25 years after the initial promise, after 
the initial word, Isaac is born. That's a long gap. That's a long gap. But God was faithful. And I think these verses are a powerful example of God's sovereignty and our free will. Because God says, Abram, you're my man. You don't deserve to be my man. You're going to get ahead of me on this. I want to bless you with a child. You're going to get ahead of me. You're going to pull it back into your own hands. You're going to make a big mess. But I'm going to be gracious. And there's going to be some consequences. But I'm going to be gracious. But I'm always going to work out my plan, which was Isaac. And I think the same is true for you and I. I think he looks you and I in the eye today and says, hang in there. I've got a plan. I know you're stressed about how money's going to work out. I know you're stressed about the relationship. I know you're stressed if you're ever going to get married. You're ever going to have kids. I know you're stressed if they're going to ever come back. I know you're stressed about the job opportunities and the schooling. And I, I know. And I know there are situations you're running from that are difficult that I might call you to go back to. And I, I know that you might have a really hard time inviting me in to paint the kitchen cabinets with you, Doug. But, but I know that I've got you here for a reason. And there's going to be ups and downs, and there's going to be times you're going to do things I don't want you to do, and there's going to be consequences, but there's going to be grace. And at the end of the day, my sovereign will is going to be accomplished. Because you have a free will, and I'm in control. And there's no issue between those two. Now, having said all that, I think the lesson we learned from Sarah and Abraham today is that God wants to spare us a lot of pain by simply waiting and being still and letting him be our sovereign God, and not pulling things out of his hands and putting them in our own. And so the thought I want you to walk away with today is don't make an Ishmael wait for Isaac. Because I think that's what we're all tempted to do in different gaps in our life. But don't make an Ishmael. Wait for Isaac. Wait for what God is going to do. Wait for how he's going to show up. The story's going to be so much better if you just wait for him. And so I'm here to tell you today, if you're ready to give up on your marriage, don't make an Ishmael. Wait for Isaac. Wait for God to come through. If you're ready to give up on something you felt God had really put on your heart, and maybe it's been years, and you've just been waiting, you've been waiting, and there's been ups, and there's been downs, and you feel like things have been good, and they're falling apart, don't make an Ishmael. Wait for Isaac. But what if the, person, the perfect person never comes along? Don't make an Ishmael. Wait for Isaac. Wait for the God. God's person for you to get into that relationship with. What about the job opportunity? Wait for, wait for what God has. It's going to be so much better. Even if you could make all the things work out and there wouldn't be terrible consequences, you still miss out on seeing God do the impossible. I mean, a 100-year-old guy having a baby. That's in the Guinness World Book of Records, I'm guaranteeing you. Abraham's in there. Because that was a God thing. It's impossible any other way. And so even if you could manipulate the circumstances to an outcome you want, which I guarantee you and I can't anyway, we would still miss out on saying, wow, God did this. God showed up. Look at the awesome thing that he did. This is what we're doing with our building. We actually say this exact phrase to each other. We don't want to make an Ishmael. We want Isaac. We want to wait. Because here's the truth. We could get out of here and go rent the facility somewhere else. We could. We could. We have opportunities. There have been people that have approached us and said, hey, if you want to come rent, okay. All right, but, but here's the thing. That's an Ishmael, and we want Isaac. You see, we're, we're trying to look 40, 50 years down the road. When I'm walking around with a cane and I finally all lost all my hair, um, we, we want to say, okay, we are so thankful that we didn't settle for a little space that would have been a little bit better than our own. 
We're so thankful that we went for the facility where we could grow for the next 40 or 50 years. You know, when my kids' kids are running around, running the church, who knows, right? Wow, thank, Grandpa, thank you <laughs> so much for waiting for God to come through with only what God could come through with, and we have this now to grow into and let him be at work. See, that's what we want. And that's what I think you want, is to wait for the Isaac and for wait, wait for what God has for you. And so wait on his timing and wait for his plans and, and look to him. And, and I think what, what we have to do is, is we have to be willing to just sort of be still sometimes. That great verse in Scripture, be still and know that I'm God. You know what that doesn't mean? It doesn't mean that you're inactive in your relationship with him. Like being still before God doesn't mean that you stop talking to God and you don't read your Bible and you don't go to church anymore because you're just being still. No, you're still actively approaching God. He's just doing the heavy lifting. My buddy Dave over here plays lead guitar and I was sitting here and I was looking up at the screen and I was trying to sing along, but I couldn't see past him today because he's 7'10 and weighs 350 pounds of pure muscle. And I'm trying to see the words behind him, and he's so big. And so if there's any time I need to move something in my house, I'm going to ask Dave to come over and do the heavy lifting. And I'll lift a little corner of it maybe, but Dave's going to lift the whole big enchilada, right? And I'm going to let him do all the hard work. And that's what God is calling us to do, is to be active in our relationship with him, and then he's going to do the heavy lifting in our lives. And so what have you been trying to lift that is way too big for you? You're throwing your back out. You're breaking things. You're, right? Just saying, all right, God, I'm going to give this back to you. I'm going to give the relationship back to you. I'm going to give my body back to you because it's hurt and broken, and I'm trying to do all my own stuff. I'm just going to look to you. God, the job thing, the, the family thing, the anger thing, the lust thing, the pride thing, the doubt thing. I've been trying to control it. God, I haven't been inviting you in. I haven't been asking you to paint the kitchen cabinets with me, God. I've been doing my own thing. But God, it's back in your hands again. I'm going to trust. And in the gap, give me grace. And when I make an Ishmael, give me grace. Help me not to make an Ishmael, God. But if I do, I thank you for your grace. And I thank you that at the end of the day, your sovereign will is going to be accomplished. So a few weeks ago, I'm thinking about this message, and I'm, I'm uncertain if I should talk about this. And I'm just driving in my car, and I got my, my music on shuffle, and all of a sudden, this song comes on the radio on my iPod, Be Still. I'm just listening to the music, and it's all about being still, knowing he's God, waiting on his timing. And, and I just want you to know, like, I don't always think every song that comes on the radio is God speaking to me. You know, the Grinch comes on. <laughs> what does this mean, Lord? You know, I don't know what to do with this. But in that moment, as I'm praying about this, and I'm thinking about this, and I'm wrestling with what to talk about, and just, boom, be still. Know that he's God. Stop trying to manipulate. Stop trying to control. Don't make an Ishmael, but wait for Isaac. So if you're a father of Jesus, what are those things you've been hanging on to? And what are those things you need to lay back down at his feet and say, God, I'm just going to wait. I'm in the gap. It's uncomfortable. I don't like it. But God, I'm going to trust. And I'm going to wait for what you have for me. I promise you it'll be better than anything you and I come up with on our own. You're not a father of Jesus. The reason that we have a God that gives the Isaacs and comes through with promises and is so good to us is because Jesus died on the cross in our place to remove our sin. And if you want to put your trust in him today, that's where all this starts. That's why all this is possible. That's why I could talk about painting the cabinets with Jesus because he's my best friend and I can walk through life with him and him with me. 
and he gives a whole new peace and joy and perspective, and he removes the guilt of our sin and our shame, and all the Ishmaels we've made in our past, he removes, and all the Ishmaels we'll make in our future, he removes. So if you want to put your trust in him today, you could do that this morning in just a minute. Let's pray. God, we give you praise that there are Isaacs in our future, God. And God, we want to just ask that you would humbly enable us to stop trying to control and manipulate and create the Ishmaels that make a mess. And that, God, you will give us mercy and grace to wait back, wait back, be still, seek you, be still, look to you, be still, and allow you to be active and do all the heavy lifting in our lives. If you're a Christian, what are the things that you're trying to control right now? What are the things you're trying to manipulate right now? What do you need to just be still and let God be God? What do you need to hand back over to him and say, okay, I've had this in my hands way too, way too long, God. I've been making way too much of a mess. So, God, I'm giving it back to you today. Would you pray about those things? Would you surrender, surrender those things back to him? If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him today, I would encourage you just to silently say something like this to God, just to begin a conversation. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for removing my sin and my shame. God, would you show me how real you are? And would you teach me how to trust you with my life and the details of my life? And would you show me how you come through and how faithful 